Pray with me this morning. Father God, we just want to say thank you for this beautiful day and for the opportunity to gather together with brothers and sisters and sing your praises. And God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for letting us live. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And Father, as we meet together today, we pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be here. Lord, whether it be physical or vacation or Lord, whatever it may be, God, I just pray that you be with them today. God, be with our people who are watching right now online, with the people who are going to listen to this on the podcast later on. And God, be with us in this room. I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts and minds. Jesus, we are all in need of you. Whether we're saved or not, we still need you. Lord, we need you to work and move in every aspect, every corner, every crack of our life. God, we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your understanding. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be open-minded today and have open hearts to hear your word and receive it. Lord, give us the wisdom to apply it to our life the way that you would have us to. Lord, thank you for everything. We love you and we ask all this in the precious, holy, and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see you today, and it is Palm Sunday. I'm really loud, so I'll get you guys to turn me down a little bit. Um, yeah, it's Palm Sunday, and I told the first service this morning, I was like, understand, you know, most people have heard a Palm Sunday sermon at some point in time. I'm sure many of you have. If you haven't, I just want to challenge you guys, go home and read your Palm Sunday passage. Okay, read about Jesus entering into Jerusalem triumphantly. On his donkey, which is always kind of crazy to think about, you know, the king coming in on a donkey, and all the people praising and singing his name and shouting Hosanna, and we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the service, but, but we're still talking about faith. We're, we're still talking about Moses, I mean Noah. We're going to be in Genesis again, Genesis 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We'll be reading from Genesis 8 this morning, and uh, this, is, this is where we're at, and so we're going to talk about, talk about Noah and his faith and talk about our faith. You know, faith is a wonderful thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you consider what it means to have faith, it is literally the beginning and middle and end of your relationship with God. The Bible says through faith all things are possible, right? It is through faith that our faith is initiated, our relationship with Christ is initiated. It's through faith that it's working and growing and it's through faith that it is completed until one day we spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Faith is the key. From Genesis 12, from Abraham's faith all the way through the end of the Bible, Scripture focuses around our faith. It is a wonderful thing. It is necessary in your relationship with the Lord. And if you look at the New Testament and you look at the Gospels and you read about Jesus' life, and it even talks about everywhere that Jesus went, if the people believed in him, if they had faith, 
that he was able to do many miracles among them. And the places he went where he did, they did not have faith, it says that Jesus was unable to do much among them and that he would move on to the next place where people had faith and he would work and do miracles among them and minister to those people. Whether or not you have faith in your life is gonna be a huge determining factor on the experience that you have in your relationship with God and how you see him working and moving in you and through you. Without faith, it's not gonna happen. You with me this morning? Like, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in him to save you, he's, he can't save you. If you don't have faith for that to happen, if you don't have faith for God to use you, then he's not gonna be able to use you. And if you don't have faith for God to give you eternal life and, and deliver you from sin, it's not gonna happen. There's a calling on our life to be people of faith, to believe. And you have to understand this morning, that as we talk about this, as we talk about faith, this this huge important thing in your life dealing with your relationship with the Lord that when you commit your life to live for Jesus Christ there's going to be a couple things that are going to happen number one when you commit to live your life in faith the Lord is going to test you how many of you like tests in school nobody nobody like tests no they're terrible right I mean, like, people just, like, stay up all night long trying to study because you probably didn't prepare the way you should have all week long. So you stay up cramming the night before. It's stressful. You know if you fail, it's going to create problems and all this stuff. And you, just, you dread it. People dread being tested, right? But when you begin to live your life and commit yourself to living a life of faith with Jesus Christ, you have to understand that the Lord is going to test you. It's coming, right? The other thing is, is that when you commit to live your life for Jesus Christ, Satan is going to tempt you. He is going to try to make you stumble and fall. He is going to bring about difficulties in your life to discourage your faith and make it falter. God will bring about testing. Testing brings about proof of growth. I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but whenever you were in school and you were being tested, it wasn't just for the teacher. It was for you too. The simple understanding of whether or not you were able to pass that test or you made an A on that test or you just bombed it miserably, okay, shows you where you are. And the whole concept of you being able to pass that test, it gives you the confidence to move on to the next thing so that you can learn about it, to take another test and move on and move on until one day you graduate from school, you go into college, you go to work or whatever comes next, Right? It's not just for the teacher or the principal to just keep on moving you through the line, but it's for you. Testing is not something we necessarily enjoy, but it's very beneficial to us. It reveals things in us. You with me this morning? There are things in your life that are present that maybe you don't even necessarily know is there. Weaknesses, there could be strengths in your life that you don't even know is there. And testing from the Lord will reveal those things in your life will give you the opportunity to serve him in better ways and Satan will bring about temptations and obstacles and they will be frustrating they will be demoralizing in some ways they're going to discourage you they're going to make you want to give up but they will also provide the opportunity for you to prove to yourself and others who you truly belong to your willingness to have faith to refrain from things in life that you want to do 
because that's what temptation is. It's like, you know, you're not tempted by stuff that you hate. Anybody, have you ever been tempted to eat broccoli? But you might be tempted to eat ice cream or chocolate. Like, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, you're tempted by things that you want. And for the world to see you refrain from things that you want or you desire in your life, it proves to them who you belong to. It's an opportunity for you to grow, for you to witness and minister, and it's an opportunity for you to see how much God has worked and moved in your life to help your faith grow and stretch even further than what it was before. And when you decide to serve the Lord, when you decide you're going to live out your faith, you need to be committed to the bitter end. That's the title of today's sermon. Faith is commitment to the bitter end. You know, nobody wants to start something and then quit, but a lot of people do, right? We've probably quit a lot of things in our life over the years. But your faith is something that when you decide to start it, you need to be committed to the bitter end. Because it's not just an in-this-moment thing that you're committing to. It's an eternal thing that you're committing to. And so until the end comes and you can be in eternity, you need to be committed to this thing for the long haul because there's going to be testing, there's going to be temptations, there's going to be obstacles, many things along the way to make you throw your hands in the air and want to give up. I don't know if any of you have ever been there before, but I have. You know, even in ministry, it's not just limited to people who just come on Sunday morning and attend. I mean, this is like pastors and missionaries and anything, evangelists, anybody that you can think of. We all experience testing. We all experience temptations. And there's times in our life where we get frustrated and we throw our hands up. There's been times in my life, even since I've been in ministry, where I've threw my hands up there and said, God, if this is the way it's going to be, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. Like, I, you know, you just like, here's the line in the sand. This is how much I can tolerate. I'm done. I've said that before. It wasn't right, but I've said it. Does that make sense? We all experience that in our life. And we need to understand that we commit ourselves to Christ. We need to be in it to the bitter end. And you read in Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 through 16, it's a very short passage of Noah. We talked a little bit about it last week, but I just want to bring it up and talk about it a little further today. In verse 13, it says Noah was 601 years old on the first day of the new year. Ten and a half months after the flood began, the flood waters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Then two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. I don't know if you ever considered this, but when you think about Noah getting on this boat, and we talked about it, all the animals, all the feces, all the urine, all the food, 10 months, 10 and a half months on that boat doing all that stuff. The boat's been resting for a while. I mean, it's already settled on the mountain, and it's just been sitting there. And Noah lifts up the hatch for the first time, and he sees dry ground. I don't know about y'all, but I'm just not a boat person. I love swimming, but I'm just not a boat person. And when we went on that mission trip to Haiti and we had to sail to the small island on the ship from Haiti, um, the main island, it was terrifying. 
Like, you know, that's like you sit there and you watch them packing the cracks in the boat with like this netting material before you get out there and you sail on it. And it's kind of like, man, is this thing even going to stay afloat when we get out here and go? It's terrifying. And I've never been so happy to get on dry ground after like going out. Because, you know, when you get out there, it's like where you were, everything's like big and it's like mountains and everything. And then by the time you're halfway where you need to be, you can look back and it's tiny. You know, it's like there's no way you're going to swim and cover that distance. So glad to be on dry ground. And when Noah flips that hatch up and he sees dry ground, I don't know about y'all, but I'd have been itching to just like jump out and go get on dry land for a little bit. Get out, get some fresh air, run around, stretch my legs. And we don't know if he would have sunk up in mud or, you know, what the earth was like or anything like that. But I want you to understand that Noah was committed to the bitter end. Noah was on this ark until God says, you can get off. Until the very end, in verse 15, where God says, leave the boat, Noah was committed. He shuts the hatch. He stays on there for two more months. Two more months. That he waited patiently, committed to the bitter end. So point number one this morning, write this down. Point number one is God will provide many opportunities for your faith to grow. You're going to have the opportunity to be tested. You commit to your life of faith, you're going to have the opportunity to grow. Now, I don't know about y'all, but we all want to have faith, most of us. How many of you want to have faith? You want to live for the Lord, serve him? Most people who are even, if you took the time to wake up and brush your teeth this morning and get here, you came for some reason. There's something inside of you that says, I probably need to go to church. I probably need, at least need to make some kind of step towards doing this because I understand like this is necessary in my life. We all want to live by faith. We all want to see miracles. We all want to see God move in mighty ways. How many of you would love to see somebody get healed, like with your own eyes, like see them get healed, for God to do miracles, for God to do some amazing things that we read about in Scripture? We all want that, right? Most people would say, yes, I want that. Can I be honest with you this morning? It's kind of scary sometimes to actually pray for those things because in order for those things to happen, there's some things that have to happen in us before we can get to that point. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ and the life that his disciples lived, it's very different than the way that we live today. It's very different than the way that our church operates today. Does that make sense? Like we all say we want to see people get saved, right? We want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to see people baptized. We want to see people come to church. But a lot of times that's scary, because we know for that to happen, it's going to cost us something. Like, we're going to have to do something in order to see these things happen. And Jesus isn't just going to snap his fingers and make it happen. Even Jesus came down here and sacrificed himself on the cross so that all those things could happen. It cost him something. You with me today? He gave up his life so that that could happen. And for us this morning to understand, like, when we commit ourselves to a life of faith, there are some things that are going to come in our lives some situations, some testing that God is going to put on us to see how truly committed we are to this, how much you really believe in this, how much you really want this to happen. Because he isn't just going to snap his fingers and let you experience all the good things. He wants you to suffer with him. In Scripture, it calls us to suffer with Christ, right? And then one day we're going to dwell with Christ in eternity. But we have to suffer with him in order to dwell with him. You remember last week we talked about you don't get your cake and eat it too? Whatever you want in eternity, you have to do here with Christ 
so that you can be with Christ in eternity. You don't get to be a goat on earth and then be a sheep in heaven. You are what you are. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James writes in this letter. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I don't know about y'all, but this is one of the most hated verses I have in Scripture. I do not read this passage of Scripture and be like, oh boy, I can't wait until times of trouble come. I love them so much. But James is talking to his readers and he's communicating a message to them because he understands something that a lot of times that we forget. And he says, for when you know, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And when we talk about endurance, it's your endurance and faith has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance and faith is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. How many of you believe in Scripture? All right, we got, some pe- we got confident people this morning. Awesome. Glad you guys raised your hand. How many of you believe in Scripture? How many of you have faith in God's word? All right, now, perfection sounds like something that's unattainable, right? It sounds like something that's impossible, right? Okay, but when you read this passage right here, and we have to take into consideration, how much of God's word do I actually believe that God can do this in my life? That when our faith is tested, and our endurance in faith has a chance to grow, and it's fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We all need to understand this morning that God has created us in a loving, carefully, meticulous way. God loved you. He still loves you. He created you to be the person that you are, right? And the whole process of us living in this life is for him to develop us into the person that he has called us to be. Because when we were born, we're born into a sinful world. We're consumed by sin. We commit sins at very early ages before we even really understand what they are. It's already ingrained in us. And the whole concept of life is God to develop and grow us and mature us into the people he's called us to be so that one day when we stand before him on judgment day, We will be the people that he has called us to be. He can bring us into perfection. And for us to sit here this morning and understand that God wants to work and move in your life. He wants to test you. He wants to help you grow. The only way that you can grow and mature and build your endurance in your faith is to be tested. How many of you love tests? No? How many of you love games? Any of you like sports? How many of you love to go play your sport? Whether it's baseball, football, basketball, golf, fighting, you you go do your next fight, whatever. How many of you love and just like look forward to that opportunity to go and do that thing that you've been training for? That's a test. You spend your whole time practicing, prepping, engaging in that for that opportunity to be tested to see whether or not you can be victorious. So many of us think about tests and we think about school where we weren't necessarily passionate about it and we were learning something we weren't necessarily really interested in. But think about it in something that is valuable to you, that's meaningful to you. And to understand that whatever sport you love or whatever you're interested in, whatever you're practicing for, you're building up for that game day. 
When I was in high school, I hated football practice. It was miserable. Those July workouts in August, those days in August where you go out there and you're putting on pads for the first time, and there was no temperature rules back then. It was like if it was 105 degrees, you still went out and practiced. If you had a fever, the coach said you need to practice. It wasn't like there were sick days. I mean, like it was miserable. But it was fun to go play on Friday night. And everything that you did Monday through Thursday led into your accomplishments or your ability to win or succeed on Friday night. When you look at your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to understand what it is that you're playing for, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. The only difficult thing is, is that this life is training and opportunities for you to lead up to the point where you stand before God in eternity for that game day. God is preparing you. God wants to develop you. And his testing in you will bring about things that you may not even know that's in yourself. There will be many of you in here that have weaknesses that you are not even aware of. And there will be many of you in here who have strengths and spiritual gifts that you are not aware of. But the testing of the Lord will reveal those things in your life so that you can continue to develop those spiritual gifts and those strengths and you can work on those weaknesses that you have. That's what it's all about, right? That's what you do in everything else that you're passionate about. Proverbs 17.3, Solomon writes, he says, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Are you listening to me this morning? Every one of you who are in here, for whatever reason, you decided to come. And no one knows why you're here. No one else knows why you're here. You could be here this morning and against your will, somebody might have poked you until you finally woke up and drug you in here this morning, and you do not want to be here. And you're like, he's an idiot. He's up there speaking gibberish. I hate this place right now. I wish I could go home. That might be in your heart. You might be here this morning. You might say, you know, I know I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just not really into it today. And you might be here this morning. You might be like, I'm here today because I know I need to be here, and this is exactly for me. Whatever is in your heart, only the Lord knows. He knows what you're thinking what you are saying to yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, and only he can test you because he has created you to be uniquely and wonderfully you. And you have to have faith to believe that because if you don't, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. You can come to church, you can sit in here, and you can just think whatever you want to and say whatever you want to. It's like nothing's going to change, nothing's going to happen in my life, I'm not going to stop sinning, I'm, you know, God's not going to. And as long as you believe that, it's not going to happen. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in the power of Christ to work and move in your heart and life, that's when things can change. That's when God can work and move in you. God's plan all along has been to develop you into the person that he created you to be. You with me? God created you to be here. And when you were born into a sinful world and sin entered into your heart, you're over here somewhere. God created you to be here and he wants to develop you and grow you in your faith, deliver you from sin, deliver you from temptations, deliver you from all these things to get you to what he's created you to be. And one day when you stand before him in eternity and you enter into eternity with him, you will be perfect and complete into what he has created you to be.
but he wants to bring you along the way. And the better you can be prepared, the better off you're going to be when you stand before the Lord and give an account for your life. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. James is writing. He's talking about testing. He's talking about all this stuff and how it should be pure joy. And even though it's not joy, right? I mean, nobody's sitting here and like, oh man, I love being miserable right now. I love that my body is in pain right now. I love that my relationship with my husband or wife stinks right now and my kids are terrible right now. Or, you know, it's like whatever testing we're going through in life, job's terrible right now. We don't consider that a joy because we're so focused on right now. But God wants us to focus on eternity and James is focusing on eternity. And then in chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, he says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation... Patiently endure. I don't know about you guys. I have not always patiently endured. But God blesses those who patiently endure. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you can endure, if you can build your faith and build your endurance and make it through the times of testing, there's a crown of life that's waiting on you. God wants to bless you. You got to believe that. You got to have faith in that. Otherwise, what reason do you have to survive the testing and make it through? What reason do you have to prepare yourself for it? What reason do you have to sacrifice for it? You have to believe that there's something better on the other side. And James talks about testing, but you have to understand that he also follows up with talks about temptation. Because when you begin to live your life for Jesus Christ and you live by faith and you start to serve him and you commit yourself to him... The Lord is going to test you, but Satan is going to come and he's going to tempt you. And in verse 13, it says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. So when you begin to live by faith, understand the Lord is going to provide opportunities for your faith to grow through testing. And point number two Satan is going to provide many opportunities for your faith to falter through temptation. It's coming. You cannot commit yourself to Jesus Christ to live for him, to serve him, to grow in him, and not have the enemy knocking at your door trying to make you stumble and fall. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's Easter week. And I think about Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. And this is Jesus. He's in the garden. And he's praying. You know, like everything's about to come to an end for his physical life. He's in the garden. He's praying. He's about to be handed over. He's going to be beaten, tortured, crucified. And he's, he's left his disciples. And he went away a small distance. And he went to pray. And when he comes back, what are they doing? Sleeping. How many of you go to bed when it gets nighttime? How many of you, when you're sitting there in the dark, it's hard to keep your eyes open? You're just like, anything wrong with sleeping? It's natural. It's very natural for us to want to sleep. The day is done. It's nighttime. We just go to bed at night. That's kind of what God has designed us to do. And here it is in the most pivotal moment 
of, of their existence, okay? Like one of the most significant, probably the most, it is the most significant event that's ever going to take place is about to happen. And Jesus is trying to prepare himself for this spiritually. And he's wanting the disciples to be prepared for this as well. And they're sleeping on the job. And he looks at them and he says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It's one of the best passages of scripture in the entire Bible. Nothing describes us better than this passage. Everyone here, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Don't be shy. If you don't want to, don't raise your hand. But I'm saying, be honest in this moment. You want to go to heaven? How many of you want to serve Jesus? How many of you would like to refrain from sin? How many of you would like to witness and minister to other people and see other people get saved because of you? How many of you like, you with me this morning? We all want it. We all want to be with Jesus. We all want to serve him. We all want to see people get saved. We all want our faith in Christ to grow. And we're sitting here on Sunday morning, and it's easy to say, yes, I want this today because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And among our brothers and sisters, it's easy to raise our hands this morning and say, yes, I want to do this. But when we go back out in the world Monday through Saturday, guess what? The body is weak. And while we say that we want it now, very few of us actually do something about it in order to make it happen Monday through Saturday. And I'm not pointing fingers and trying to whip you this morning because even myself, I don't always do everything that I should Monday through Saturday to make sure that my body is doing what it's supposed to be even though my spirit wants to do it. You with me? This is what we're all guilty of and we need to be aware of. This is why Jesus looks at his disciples and says, stay awake and keep praying. Be on guard. You are willing to do this, but your body is weak. You want to do this, but chances are you're gonna stumble and fall. You need to be awake, keep watching. You need to pray because the enemy is coming. Bad times are about to come. I know what's about to happen. Jesus is telling me, I know what's about to happen. I'm praying. I'm over here sweating drops of blood, about to go nuts, thinking about what's going to happen. And you're over here sleeping. Be awake. All of Scripture talks about us being prepared. None of us wants to go out tomorrow and just live in sin. None of us wants to. But how many of us struggle with it? I can raise my hand and say, yes, I still struggle with sin and temptation. We do. It's, it's what we do. But Jesus calls us to be awake. And if you sit here this morning and you fail to prepare, if you fail to pray, if you fail to get ready for this and understand that it's coming, you may not sit here and raise your hand this morning and say, I want to sin against the Lord. I want to go to hell. I want to keep other people from believing in Jesus Christ. You would never raise your hand and say that, but failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Jesus told us, keep watch and pray. Your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. You can't simply do this because you say you want to do this. Everybody can dream. There's very few people who's willing to go out and make that dream happen. There's so many people who say that they believe in Jesus Christ. Very few people who live it out and allow him to have access in their life so they can receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their life to truly live for him.
Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 8, verses 13 through 14. And he's teaching the disciples about the message of the gospel. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Even most atheists, if they said, if a heaven existed, most atheists would say, I would like to go there. Even if they don't believe, they'd say, yeah, I'd probably want to go to heaven because the alternative doesn't sound very fun. But Jesus talks about people who receive the message of the gospel and he explains to them the meaning of this parable. He says, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. There's so many people who believe in Jesus Christ, but because their roots don't grow very deep and they don't give it to Christ and they don't try to get to that point, and allow him to help them get to the point where their roots can grow and their endurance can grow, they fall away because temptation overcomes them. Verse 14, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. The common theme that you need to see in the New Testament about faith is that growth and maturity in faith are necessary for you to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. God has called you to grow in him. You should not look like the same person who gave your heart to Jesus Christ a year ago, five years ago, 20 years from ago. There should be growth and maturity in your life, in your faith in him. We are called to do that. In fact, Jesus talked about those whose roots aren't very deep and they don't grow. It's not brought into maturity. More than likely, they're going to fall away. It's the meaning of the parable. There's a lot of people who receive the message of the gospel with joy. A lot of people who claim Jesus Christ, faith in I believe in Jesus. And very few people have ever let their faith grow into maturity to see God working and moving and not only doing great things in their life, but doing great things through their life. And that's what I want to challenge us with, is that God wants to do something great in you, but God also wants to do something great through you. And we can't just be satisfied with what God is doing in us. Faith is not a selfish thing. We're not just in this for what we can get out of it, but we're in this so that we can glorify God and bring about his kingdom so that many people can be saved. You were not saved just so you could go to heaven. You were saved so you could take people with you. God wants to do something great in you, and he wants to do something great through you. Because Satan is just looking for the opportunity. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8, beware of your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring Lion, seeking whom he may devour. You ever watch the documentaries on Discovery Channel? Disney has some really cool documentaries on animals and stuff. And you watch documentaries on lions. Who do they always attack? The weak. The small, the young, the newborns, the injured. Lions don't go up and say, who's the biggest, baddest one that we can kill so we can get the most 
bang for our buck. They don't do that. They're creeping around, sitting back, looking for somebody who's a straggler, who don't have their ducks in a row, who's injured, who's just sitting back, who's weak. He's looking to devour. Satan loves easy prey. And if you don't keep watching prey, and you don't prepare yourself, and you don't put on the armor of God like we talked about last week in Ephesians 6, you don't put on that armor of God, and you don't wake up Monday through Saturday and and say to yourself, I'm going out to battle today. It may not seem like it. You may not be able to see it. People might not be shooting guns at you or throwing spears or shooting arrows or whatever. But if you don't wake up every day and consciously remind yourself you are going to spiritual war and you don't put on that armor, you are setting yourself up for failure. You are an easy target for Satan. You may believe in Jesus Christ, but he is going to come and he's going to pick the meat from your bones and you're going to be an easy snack for him. And he'll move on and get somebody else when he's done with you. He will find you out. He will look for the weakest people. People who claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but they are not walking with Jesus because you're a straggler and you're hanging back from away from the herd. He's going to pick you off first. That's what he's going to do. He's looking for an easy meal. And in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, James keeps on writing about temptation. And he talks about temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so while you wake up Monday through Saturday and you tell yourself, I'm going out to fight a battle, I'm going out to fight this war, I need to put on my armor, I need to prepare myself for what's waiting out there, you also need to understand what is lurking in here. Because inside of each and every single one of us, there is sin in our hearts and in our minds. There are things inside of you that you desire, that you want, that you think, bitterness, animosity, Whatever it may be that's lurking inside of you, desires for wealth, desires for pleasure, whatever is in there, there are things inside your heart and mind that you need to be aware are there and you need to be making sure that you're praying and that you're keeping watch and that you understand that you're putting on that armor for what's inside here and out there. Because the things that are lurking around in your heart and your mind, that's what's going to draw you away from the Lord first. Satan may tempt you with stuff out there. And I'm going to tell you, tell you a secret. The longer you go being a Christian and the more maturity you have in your faith, the things out there aren't quite as tempting anymore. But the things inside here are the ones that will eat away at you if you're not careful. These are the ones that will call your name, distract you, keep you from being the person that God created you to be, keep you from ministering the way that God's called you to minister from witnessing the way he's called you to witness. Your lack of desire to prepare will prepare you to fail. Not only in this world, but especially in your spiritual life. But don't get discouraged because when you're being tempted, guess what? It means you belong to Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. Like Satan don't come and tempt people who already belong to him. He's not going to waste his time with you. You're already his. But if you're experiencing temptation in your life, it's a good thing. 
Because Satan is trying to distract you and make you falter, make you stumble because God is wanting to do something in you and through you. You with me this morning? You got to believe that. If you don't believe that, whenever it comes time for you to make the decision to turn away, you're not going to turn away. You're going to indulge in the temptation. But if you believe that God is wanting to do something great in you and through you and Satan is tempting you, trying to distract you and make you stumble in that moment, it will give you more incentive to walk away. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. Do you believe that? you got to believe that. You cannot believe that it's greater than what you can withstand, greater than what God can do, greater than anything, and you're the only one in the world who's going through this temptation and going through this experience right now. You cannot believe that. That's a lie from Satan. You have to believe that God is faithful. You have to believe that he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And you have to believe that when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. There's that word again, endure, endurance. Guys, you are not running a foot race. It's not a 40-yard dash. You're not getting on the clock. You're not going to the NFL combine and seeing what you can put out. God is not coming up to Brian and saying, hey, or G Satan is not coming up to Brian and saying, hey, Satan, you want to do this? Or Brian, you want to do this? And Brian's like, no, thank you. And then Satan just walks away and he's like, okay, I'll just leave you alone. It's endurance. He's going to come and he's going to tip Brian. He's going to tip every single one of us and he's not going to let it go. He's going to be there for 26 miles. He's going to be there for a marathon. And if you train to run the 40-yard dash, guess what? You're going to give out and your body's not going to be able to withstand it. Your mind's not going to be able to send it. Your lungs aren't going to be ready. It's endurance. You have to prepare yourself to be committed for the long haul, to endure for the long haul. You can't just say no one time and just think, oh, now I'm good. He'll leave me alone now. He's here to stay. And he'll tempt you with one thing, and whenever that don't work, he'll find something else. And there's a lot of good church people. You with me this morning? A lot of really good church people who aren't tempted by things of the world anymore but it's amazing at what good old Christian people can be tempted by that they don't think is sin and they don't realize it's sin anymore. Gossip, slander. Just neglecting God speaking into our life. Neglecting the understanding that we're called to sacrifice things so that God's kingdom can be lifted high. And this morning, I want you to understand that if you're being tempted, don't give up. Because I have seen people completely delivered from addictions. Like they're, they're drug addicts and alcoholics, completely delivered, have no desire whatsoever to ever like partake in it again. Sexually immoral people, you name it, people completely delivered from sin. And yet, at the same time, there are people who are still struggling with sin who are dealing with things. They're still struggling with the temptation. Some people are completely delivered, some people are not. And so, you have to have faith this morning that number one, God could completely deliver you from a temptation. You would never want or desire that again. There's been some things in my life I've been completely delivered of, and there's been other things that I have not. I still struggle with sin and temptation in many ways. But to understand today that when you are being tempted, 
Satan is trying to deter you away from what God wants to do in you and through you. You have to cling to that. You have to have faith. And you have to understand that when you're enduring temptation and you resist that, it's given you the opportunity to grow in your faith. It's given you the opportunity to build that endurance and worship him. And point number three, win or lose, you need to stay committed to your faith. Anybody ever failed a test before? Anybody ever lost? <laughs> we have one that never failed a test. Anybody ever lost a game before? Lost the match? There's going to be wins. There's going to be losses. There will be good times, bad times, difficult times. And in the midst of it, guys, you need to be committed to the bitter end. You can't give up. You can't let it get the best of you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 22, Jesus is talking about the end of times. And he says, A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. You got to be committed to the end. Everybody that endures. I want you to think about that. Jesus doesn't say everybody who gives up. Everybody who received it joyfully. Everybody who committed in the beginning. He says everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Guys, you got to be willing to endure. If God is testing you, don't get frustrated. Easier said than done, right? Because in this moment, none of us sit here in this moment and says, I'm so glad my body is hurting right now. I'm so glad I'm sick right now. I'm so glad life stinks right now. Thank you, Lord, for letting me have this joy of being tested. That's not natural, right? But there's a lot of things in Scripture, there's a lot of spiritual things that aren't natural to the human body and not natural human instinct. Because when James is writing this, He's not thinking about earthly things. He's not thinking about physical things that are going to pass because you're not always going to hurt. The relationship's not always going to be bad. There's not always going to happen. There's an end to it. But when we stand before God, there's going to be eternity. And then there is no end. It's forever. And so what you have to endure right now, it may not be joyful right now, but you can have joy in the moment of understanding that God is preparing me for the end game. God is preparing me for what's to come, not for what's right now, because we're not called to live for right now, are we? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not supposed to be living for right now. You're supposed to be storing up treasure in heaven, getting ready, meaning eternity, witnessing, ministering to other people, helping them get saved, building God's kingdom. That's what we're called to do. Don't get frustrated with temptation. Satan hasn't got you yet. Just be glad. Like in the moment where you're being tempted, you just remind yourself in that moment where you're being tempted. Say, he hadn't got me yet. He wants me, but he hadn't got me. Because if he had me, he wouldn't be here tempting me with this right now. This wouldn't be an opportunity. You wouldn't be going down the road yelling at people, wanting to flip them off or, you know, run them into a guardrail because people aren't driving well these days. You wouldn't be yelling at somebody wanting to punch somebody in the face. You you understand what I'm saying? It's like in this moment, it's difficult. 
but you have to cling to the fact that God is preparing you and allowing you for someone who doesn't act the way that they should to witness somebody who is kind and loving to them even when they shouldn't be. And whenever they act like dummies and you act godly, why did you do that? Why did you act like that? The world needs that. Matthew chapter 24, verses 12 through 13. Jesus speaking about the end of times again. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endure. Committed to the bitter end. When Noah got on that boat, I don't know if he really knew what he was getting into. I don't know if he understood how long he was going to be there. You know, it's like when when we serve the Lord, when we give our hearts to him, we never know. I sure didn't know I was going to end up in ministry when I gave my heart to Jesus. I'd have never thought that I'd be doing this today. But when we commit to Christ, we commit to the bitter end no matter what comes. Suffering, joy, pain, blessings, whatever comes, we have to be committed to the bitter end. In Revelation 3, verse 10, John writes, Because you have obeyed my command to preserve, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. God wants to know who really belongs to him. There are times in your life, and and it's not just you. He did it to everybody. You look at scripture. He did it to Abraham. After Abraham had went to a foreign land and and took his wife and did all this stuff, he he still came to the point where he says, Abraham, are you willing to give me your son? He tested him because he wanted to know. And whenever Abraham took that knife put that boy on the altar and about set him on fire and cut him with that knife. He said, now I know that you truly belong to me. There are things in your life that if you would simply let it go and do what God has called you to do and serve him and sacrifice for him, it would be the thing that God needs to see. Now I know that you truly belong to me. Now I know that you're mine. That's what God wants to see. Because let's be honest with each other. It's Palm Sunday, right? You know what happened on Palm Sunday? Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. God. Triumphal entry. Riding on a young colt donkey. And everyone in Jerusalem is out there yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're shouting his praises. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the fact that they were out there shouting Hosanna, they were acknowledging him as the Messiah. They were acknowledging him as God's son. That was blasphemy. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they considered that to be blasphemy. And on Sunday, they were willing to commit blasphemy to serve Jesus and to shout his praises and take off their robes and lay them on the ground so the hooves of that nasty little donkey wouldn't even touch the dirt. And that's what they were willing to do on Sunday. And on Friday, when he's standing trial before Pilate, the whole crowd, all the people who were outside Jerusalem leading him in, singing his praises, they were the ones yelling, crucify him, Crucify him, crucify him. 
Don't think for one second that you don't have the capacity in your life to turn it around in just a few days. There's a reason why Scripture calls us to grow and to be committed and to build our faith and build endurance in our faith to span the long haul, to be committed to the end because those who last and are committed to the end, they will be saved. I hope and pray that all of us will be committed to the end so that we can be saved as well. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today to worship you, to praise you, to give you our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to find joy in the moments of testing and temptation, even though it's difficult. I pray that we would be aware of the sin and the temptation that lurks within our hearts and minds and the ones that lurk in the world. And God, I pray that you would help us to be committed to the very end. Jesus, I know that every person in this room, every person who's watching online, and every person who will listen to the podcast later on, I know that our desire is to serve you and be with you in eternity. But God, I pray that you would help us to have faith and to trust in you to help us to live the way we need to in order to get us there. We love you today and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.